0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hello out there, my name is Sam Maxwell and welcome to the Bedford & Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series re- research process. Excuse me. And uh, today I'm very, very happy. We're going to keep the, uh, the New York Giants themed weekend going. And also we're talking a lot about the Bronx uh, today and yesterday. Uh, and today I'm going to bring on somebody who was able to capture on film, the last game the Giants ever played in the polo grounds, and that is Mo Resner, who put it together in a DVD called End of an Era. How you doing, Mo?
0: Very good, thanks. Well, uh, let's, because this
1: is a storytelling uh, place, I want to start off with the story, even though you've told it on here when calling in on other shows, but I want you to start with the story of how you got there that day with that camera.
0: Okay, well, I was a young man. I had nothing to do. I figured I'd go to the baseball game, the New York Giants. I asked several Giant fans, come on along with me. They said, "No, nah, we'll go another time. Turned out there was no other time. I went by myself. I think I put five cents in the, in the, uh, in the what do you call it, to, for the subway. And I went to the Polo Grounds by myself with my 16-millimeter camera, which I usually take with me. And I bought uh, box seats. I think it was a, I had to go for $1.50. And I was sitting there enjoying things, and I didn't know what was actually happening. There were ceremonies being taken place. I didn't know why. I didn't realize that this was the last game the New York Giants would ever play at the polo grounds. And when I started to take movies, uh, apparently they thought I was a professional, so they let me on the field. I climbed over the railing, and I stayed for three hours. I filmed uh, the ceremonies, guys like Carl Hubble and Bill Rigney, and Willie Mays, and Hank Sauer, and Sid Gordon. And they were all very nice to me. And then when the game started, I got shots, different shots of the ball game, and I was maybe 50 feet away from home plate. And nobody stopped me throughout this entire thing. So I made myself a movie. My mother and father helped me put some titles on with the narration, which I did. And I put it away for a half a century. Until I got a call from these New York Giant fans, they found out about it. So they asked me to convert it to a DVD. I did. I showed it. They invited the New York Times. The next day, (laughs) my picture was in the newspaper. And I started to take this seriously. After that, they drove me to uh, the Hall of Fame, and they accepted it. They thought it was the greatest amateur baseball film they've ever seen. One thing led to another. And uh, the reunion, uh, first reunion of the New York Giants and the San Francisco Giants, took place at AT&T Park. Forty-two thousand people. I made a speech. They honored me. They showed part of the DVD on the big screen, and I saw Willie Mays again and Willie McCovey, and it was a great thing. And now it's known all over the country. From, a, from and and on, 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 on that
1: film. on. On that DVD, you uh, you have a great intro with a, a New York baseball media uh, mogul.
0: Ed Randall became a very, very good friend. He made the introduction. He's super.
1: Well, is there anywhere that everybody can get this DVD online? Uh,
0: they'd have to... Con- I don't know about the online. They'd have to contact me. Or maybe PayPal. That's what it is. PayPal would do it.
1: Well, Mo... Give us your background in New York. Tell us exactly who Mo Reznor is and where you're from here.
0: Well, I'm from the East Bronx. Uh, I was brought up. I went to the two public schools, walked to them, no buses. And then I went to Christopher Columbus High School where I became a pitcher. I was not the in, in the major rotation. In fact, they wanted to take the uniform away from me. And the, and the manager said, Mo, you know, you're not going to see much accent. I said, I'm not giving you back the uniform. So he said, okay. So I was on the team. Great, great coach. Great neighborhood, <laughs> the Bronx. And,
1: and, and you weren't uh, a fan of the local team.
0: Well, I wasn't. <clears throat> I didn't know what to do. And a, a friend of mine who was older than me, I don't know why, he said, I got to take it to see the Cubs. So I went to see the Cubs, and they beat the Giants, and I became a Cub fan because of him. Now I, I didn't realize I had New York Giants fans, Brooklyn Dodger fans, and New York Yankee fans chasing me, and uh, it was very <laughs> difficult to, to, to hang around being a Cub fan, but I had to, I had to do it.
1: I had so to do it. in your neighborhood, though, who had the biggest contingent? Was, was that definitely the Yankees being in the Bronx?
0: I think it was the Yankees and the Giants equally.
1: Okay. And with some scattered Dodger fans in there?
0: Oh, absolutely. It was a big neighborhood, so we had a lot of you know, 2,000 tenants within a two-block area. We had our own town, really.
1: Well, tell tell us what a daily routine in the East Bronx would like for you.
0: Well, well, well when we didn't have school, okay, we had a great neighborhood. The playground was in the front, Bronx Park in the back, uh, the landlord allowed us to have different club rooms in the basement. We had the, the, the softball team. We had the chess club, the girls club, the older guys, the younger guys. Uh, the movies was three blocks away from us, and we never had to go anywhere. It was that unique a neighborhood. Oh, well, that's great. Rocks, yeah, it was a wonderful land- In fact, the houses there are landmarks. You can't tear them down. That's how great they were, and they are to this day.
1: It's devastating what happened to the Bronx with the, uh, the cross Bronx expressway going right through the middle.
0: Oh, yeah, I know. We didn't know from those things. We just took subways and were there and we came home.
1: Right, exactly.
0: How, how, often,
1: how often would you go to the polo grounds?
0: I used to go once every two weeks, but if the Cubs were in town, I went every day.
1: And they were in town a lot back then. They were in town uh, 11 times, right?
0: Uh, something like that, because I remember the Cubs played the Reds twenty two games that season in nineteen forty five when the Cubs won their last pennant, so I think everybody else played each other twenty two times. There were only eight teams in the league in the national right. league
1: right, exactly exactly so uh, tell tell us did you ever go to Field? absolutely what, what was the, What was it like for you going all the way down there? Field. Would you, uh, what, what, how would you How would you go from the East Bronx
0: well it's, I don't even remember we, I took a train to Manhattan the IRT and then at Times Square there was a train that went to Heavitt's Field and, I didn't know anything about cars <laughs>
1: tell us tell us about uh, one experience out in Abbotsfield.
0: you know that was interesting to, to be a Cub fan in the Bronx is one thing but to be a Cub fan in Brooklyn you're taking your life into your own hands I was sitting in the bleachers, which was a pretty good seat, and I was rooting for the Cubs. And there was one day when a guy got up, and he said, shut your mouth, you dirty rat. He said, this is Brooklyn territory. Shut up. Then another guy got up, bigger than him. I thought he was going to kill me. He said, hey, kid, you say what you want. Do what you want. This is Brooklyn. And I thought he was going to beat me up, but he was ready to th- beat the other guy up. But I got away with it. And I took movies that day, too. That's another thing.
1: <laughs> oh, you took some movies now. Are you going to be able, able to... A, you know, where uh, are those?
0: I field. Yeah, I had some of those. You know, are, are those, shots.
1: Wh- where are those currently?
0: I still have them.
1: Well, we got we to gotta get them onto YouTube or, or at least uh, sell them, really. Okay. Put them That's together. Cool. We'll have to, we'll have to uh, put that together now. Mo, you actually have a caller with an 845 area code, which is generally the uh, Westchester and Rockland area. Uh, I'm going to bring them on and, and see who is called in to talk to, talk to Mo Reznor on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Right. Okay. Hi. You, you are here live right. with the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Who do we have here? Ron Rice. Ron, how are you doing? Uh, oh. Mo told me a little bit about you, but please tell us... Uh, Tell us how do you know Mo and and uh, you know tell tell us some uh, bit about yourself. Uh, no problem. Mo's a
2: great guy, and he you know you look at him now and he's he's still active. Now I'm the oldest ball player in senior baseball, which is 40 and over. I'm 76 and I'm playing, and Mo beats me out because he's playing in an over 18 league. So you <laughs> know I mean that's quite a feather in his hat. And uh, Mo and I played together for the Bronx Yankees in Florida, and we won about three championships under that uh, name. And Mo and I uh, had a great time, and we contributed. Matter of fact, Mo got the name Mister Clutch.
1: Of course, of course. That's very now, nice. Mo, tell tell us a bit about your uh, your uh, baseball playing acumen.
0: You mean present day?
1: Yeah, present day, and 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 how you got there. Uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about so, your uh, your background in baseball. I,
0: I got to the Pelham Mets in 1984 at the, at the 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 suggestion of uh, of Nick Tester, who Ron knows, and uh, they introduced me to Joe Salamini, who was a AAA ball player, nearly made it to the majors, and I've been with them ever since. Uh, I coach first base. I keep the stats. But on occasion, I have gotten into games. Right now, I'm limited to one at bat a year. And the average fastball is about 82, 85. And uh, the last time I got up, I slammed a line drive on one hop to the second baseman, and they threw me out.
1: Well, hey, you made contact, Ron? though, you know. I always hey, say, yeah, yeah, Ron, doing? yeah, Ron, you're still on.
2: Yeah, I was listening to Mo. I just wanted to say one other thing, Mo is probably one of the most uh, uh, characters that I've played with. But he could tell you about another guy named John Malangoni, who you might want to have on his show. And John okay. is probably the only one that Bo that and I really you know, put above us in, in, in admiring. So if he speaks to you a little bit about John after the show, he might yeah. be a great guest for you. But I appreciate yeah. listening to the rest of the show. And if you got any questions, I'll stay here. Of course you're great. Okay, take care. I'll be here. I, I
1: appreciate okay. it, Ron. I appreciate okay, Ron. it. Thank you very much. He's right. Now, John
0: Malangone is a special case. We'll talk about that.
1: Yeah, go go ahead. Tell us about that, uh, John.
0: Well, very Ron is the expert on that. But very quickly, uh, John Malangone was <clears throat> a major league prospect. He was going to replace uh, whether it was uh, or be- not Dara. Be- I forgot who, but. Uh, he made all kinds of headlines, but he had a let me just say he had a mental problem that prevented him from participating in a regular manner. And when he met Ron Weiss, Ron uh, actually gave him his schooling, and they became buddies. And uh, and he still played ball, but not for the for the Yankees. He never went to pro ball because of the problem that he had. And it was a special problem. We can talk about it another time, but he's in good shape. He's great, and uh, that's it. So we'll work on Jared cool. Allen
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, Ron, Ron, if yeah. you're still there, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, if you had uh, one of your best Mo uh, baseball stories, Mo playing baseball stories.
2: Best baseball story is when we went to Florida to play in the Roy Hobbs tournament, over 40 Masters baseball. And we faced Mike Marshall, Aaron LaFleur, uh, Bernie Cabo, uh, you know, many major leaguers, Bill Lee. And when John Moe and I went down and they said, uh, come on, these old guys can't play, you know, let them get in, you know, when, when, the, game is, when the game is over. And Mike DeRosa was the manager of the Bronx Yankees, and he said, these guys go way back and we're going to let them play and there was one particular game where the score was tied, and uh, they were going to pinch hit for Mo, and everybody said, let Mo hit, and Mo came up and lashed the single, and we won the ball game.
0: Huh.
2: Excellent. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hey, by the way, they didn't want us, because we were so old, the over-40s. Uh, Ron LaFleur was a, was a, was a, a base stealer for the Montreal Expos, and when he got on base... He couldn't run. I pinch ran for him, and I was about 68 at the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great. Yeah.
0: That's
1: great. Now, now, tell us some a uh, bit about, um, I know that you uh, you had a stint with the Montreal Expos in, in some regard.
0: Oh, I broke a record. Uh, there was a technicality on the field, uh, AA Park, where Tim Raines was still playing. And uh, I didn't have a contract as a player, and I wasn't allowed on the field, even though I was an assistant coach. So Jim Fanning, who ran the operation at the time for the Expos, said, Mo, you're going to sign a contract. So I signed a Major League contract for 4000 a month. I still have it, and I got released two days later. But I was the oldest guy ever to sign a Major League contract, except for Satchel Paige.
1: Right. And how old were and- you? 48.
0: 48. Yep.
1: It's too bad we couldn't have seen Mo Reznor in, in a Major League Baseball game at age 48.
2: <laughs> listen, if you hang around long enough with Mo, sir? Yeah. You'll, he'll recruit you for a baseball team. Or if he doesn't recruit you, I'll recruit you for my team over 40. Okay. And, uh, I'm going <laughs> to listen to the rest because Mo's, Mo's real interesting. You got my phone number. After the show, can you give me a call and I'll fill you in and maybe you can you know, I can help you get John on the phone. Okay, John, Yes,
1: certainly, certainly.
2: I appreciate I look forward it, call You have a better one. one and I look forward to your call. God bless you, Mo.
0: Okay, thanks, you too. Take care. So you. Mo,
1: tell us tell us about the three careers you were uh, talking about off air with me.
0: Well, I was gonna be a, a, a baseball writer <clears throat> and I couldn't get a job, so when I graduated high school, uh, I somehow got a job in the city as a messenger boy for a finance company, and I never quit. I just never quit. And I got into the finance business. Uh, around the early 60s, I became a professional comedian. you <clears throat> got to forgive me for uh, this voice right now.
1: Oh, no, no it's okay.
0: <clears throat> I became a, a, a professional comedian and did all the old nightclubs uh, all over town including florida and i really enjoyed myself but i couldn't uh, make enough of a living with uh, two kids a wife and two kids so i still continued show business on a part-time basis up to today i do baseball functions um, i'll probably do four or five minutes at the baseball scouts dinner this coming friday and then I got involved with the baseball, semi-pro baseball, and one thing led to another. And then, of course, I got tied up with the old New York Giants double-A team in Dallas in 1957, where I met Willie McCovey as a mm-hmm. rookie. And I met Ernie Brolio. He was a starting pitcher. And Joey Malfitano. And uh, Joey and, and uh, Ernie uh, well, Joey was San Francisco. Ernie's retired. And he, we kept up the friendship. He was a 20-game winner for the St. Louis Cardinals until he got a sore arm. And since 1984, I'm with the Pelhamets Baseball Club as a first-base coach and take batting practice. Basically, if I can't take batting practice or something happens, I quit. As long as right. I can swing a bat, I will be on the field. If I'm somehow I can't get it around, I will quit. That's it. So far, in good shape.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's some great photos. uh, One of them that we we used of you in the Pelham Bay Mets uniform. And uh, just a little side note, what's interesting is that I'm writing a movie where uh, the the main characters, at the beginning, they're from Pelham Bay, and they have to to leave all of a sudden. And uh, so uh, that's interesting. And, you know, me being a Mets fan, that that just, uh, it's fun that that, ties in as well.
0: Yeah, uh, I took the name Pelham Mets.
1: It's great. It's a great name. Uh, yeah. th- what what kind of Mets fan base do you think is in the Bronx? Right now? Yeah.
0: I wish I knew, but uh, I'm sure there are tons of them.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yankees and Mets, I don't think they talk any more about, anymore about the Giants unless you're over 55. And they don't talk about the Dodgers either unless you're the same age. <laughs>
1: Although you'd be surprised, there's some there's some fans uh, out there who, who are around my age, uh, who are from Brooklyn that decided uh, to be Dodger fans. Just yeah. Just because. I don't know. it's it's interesting. Um, but uh, I was curious if you could tell us about your your uh, interview at Yankee Stadium in 1998.
0: Oh, let me tell you how that happened. <clears throat> Fox Five, the network channel, came down to Pelham Glover Field. Where the Pella Mets were playing a game. You know, before the game, they interviewed me, and they talked about. Uh, I got to send you a copy of that. They talked about. Uh, do you think this guy Mo is twenty-five? No. Is he forty? No. Is he a prospect? No. Is he over fifty? Yes. Well, how old is he? He's sixty-eight and still plays and takes batting practice. And so they interviewed me, and they interviewed a couple of players, and then they turned it over to Yankee Stadium, where Tim Raines was a member of the Yankees, and he made mention of the fact that we know each other. So it was a very nice three-minute national broadcast, and I'm still proud of it.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, I uh, I, uh, I think, I believe you gave me the DVD, and I look forward to viewing that.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Um, so... Tell us a little bit more about meeting Willie McCovey back then in 1957.
0: It's an interesting story, really. Uh, I was out with the double A team. Willie McCovey was, uh, I think, the no. There were two black players on the team. But I got to know Willie a little bit, and I said, "Let's go back to the, uh, let's go back to the uh, to the hotel, and we'll have some coffee." He says, "I can't go." I said, "All right, so let's go, let's go to your, to your place." He says, you can't go. I said, I don't understand it. He says, Mo, listen to me. <clears throat> There's still segregation down here in Texas. I'll see you on the field. I can't have lunch with you, and I can't, have, and I can't meet with you in my neighborhood, in my hotel. So that's how I got to know Willie. Of course, yeah. uh, in 1958, uh, he, was, he did another minor league stint, and then in 1959... He joined the San Francisco Giants, and we know each other since then, but not that well. Mm-hmm. Willie uh, saw me make that speech two years ago, and he was in a wheelchair, so mm-hmm. goes to show you. That speech was that speech was real special for you. Yeah, meeting Willie Mays—that uh, was uh, no Willie McCovey. 1957 was a great thrill, and everybody knew he'd be in the major leagues. Everybody. Mm-hmm.
2: Because of course. That was a oh.
0: particularly good uh that was a good incident. And I had a lot of fun there too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh and now we I on by, know we
0: were owned by the New York Giants.
1: Yeah. I right, exactly. I, I know I know that you mentioned the baseball writers dinner, uh that you're gonna be going there doing four four to five minutes. Um uh, you, you said you were a comedian, so do you, what's your best joke? Uh, what, what is something that you're going to be using at the, uh, the dinner? Oh, you're
0: talking about the baseball uh, scouts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The baseballs. Oh, the baseball scouts. Yeah, I, yeah. I always do five minutes uh, at, at that affair, and a lot of times they know what I'm doing. But the best joke that I have <clears throat> is not even saying anything, because they introduce me as the new life, the the, the new bodyguard. For c c yeah, <laughs>
2: and
0: I walk up very tamely to the microphone,
1: and they're laughing
0: already and then I go from one joke to another, and I'm out in five minutes
1: so what you give, give give us uh give our listeners a joke
0: <clears throat> this This beautiful girl called me the other night she says, "Why do not you come over there?'s nobody home. I went over there. there was nobody home. <laughs>
1: Oh Did you hear man, rob- Do you
0: hear about the robbery in the Chinese restaurant? No. Guy comes in, and says, "Stick 'em up, give me all your money." The guy says, "To go?" <laughs> and the same guy was brazen enough to hold up a guy in the street. He says, "Give me all your money." He says, "How dare you?" I happen to be a congressman. He says, "All right, give me back my money." <laughs> those, are
1: the- those are those are those are the bits, and I, I think on that note. That is a great way to end the show, Moa. I very much appreciate you coming on and, and giving us some uh, some wonderful stories. And you're okay. certainly welcome back anytime. Right. And, and and you know, keep keep calling in on other shows, please. Uh, we very much appreciate uh, your insight. So that, anyway, everybody, that's our show. Everybody, thank you very much for uh, checking in and uh, catch okay. us next week. Take care. You got it. Okay.